0: Welcome to the Prison Steve Podcast. Though I didn't do 20 or 30 years locked up, and I never spent time in the hole, or had to make a shiv, after six years in the Texas penal system, I've still seen some stuff. I've lived through many of lockdowns, endured authoritarian regimes, seen riots, and learned how to navigate deeply entrenched racial issues. And as the world around us snowballs further into insanity, I can't help but think how like prison this all is. Yet it wasn't all doom and gloom. I made some incredible friendships along the way, learned things about myself I don't know if I ever would have uncovered, and I learned that Prison Mike was right. They do serve gruel, and there are dementors, though they aren't the worst part of it. Join me as I share stories from the inside and dive into how my time locked up has changed, altered, and shaped my views now that I am on the outside. Greetings, one and all. Bienvenidos, as they say down here, down south, and other places where they speak German. Um, that was a joke. Hey, how's everybody doing? I am Steve Mathis, a.k.a. Prison Steve, and this is the Prison Steve Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It is an absolute pleasure to have you guys with me sharing on this fifth episode. And almost at the seventh, the seventh is the magical number where podcasts tend to fall off, so let's just see what happens there. But thanks to you, I am thoroughly enjoying this experience and have loved the feedback that I've gotten, the tips, just suggestions, and I don't know just a lot of the insights that have been given, of course, compliments everybody loves compliments it allows us to feed off it, yes, more compliments. Uh, really just the fact that this uh, story that I have lived out and been through kind of resonates with some people out there. And then also just some of the ways that it has affected my views on the world has also just kind of, I guess, resonated with a, a few of you out there, hopefully more. Yeah, that's been encouraging. Not because I'm going to change my views or going to change the way that I outlook on life. Just because after everything I've been through and all the work that, is, that I've put in on myself and then also that all the work that God has been putting into me and the investment that's gone into it, I like the outcome. I'm very thankful for the outcome. And especially as I watch all the craziness going on and people are just getting so worked up and, and just go sucked into things, I was like, I used to be right there in the middle with them. Just all the anger and all the angst, I used to be right there in the middle with them. And now that I am just personally in a place where I'm free from that and needing to respond to that, uh, I am just very, very thankful for that. And so because of that, I'm able to do a podcast and not shy away or be ashamed about the mistakes I've made about my time in prison and actually use it as a time of reflection of just how if I was able to benefit from it, then maybe there are some things out there that I have learned that others might benefit from it. And if you don't, then maybe you're entertained with some stories. So, let's just see how that plays out. I just want to, again, uh, thank you for listening in. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the comments and the shares and the reviews. Any of the tips and ideas that you have, throw them my way. I am, uh, I've am. i actually got a list from you guys and uh it's really good it's got my mind churning and so i'm working towards starting to knock some of those out so we're on location in south padre island and right now uh got the ambient noises from the beach uh in the background we're only 50 yards away from the from the beach and maybe 65 yards (laughs) 70 yards away from the ocean so that's where you're getting that sound there the uh, ocean waves are coming in if you're not getting the sound it's because it didn't sound that great and i had to edit it out so hopefully that doesn't have to happen so we can just press on and go ahead and move forward into this so that being said uh this is my third time recording it The first two were just rambling i don't want to call them debacles but going back and listening to them, I was just kind of like, I know where I want to go. I just wasn't getting there. And so listening to those helped me flesh out what it was that I was actually trying to say. So as I say, third time's a charm and let's just try to get there because it was at the tip of my brain and it took a while to unlock it. I think I've unlocked it and it's something I just want to share. Now, as I said, I am here in south padre island my family comes in vacations here uh pretty religiously every year i believe it's always south padre island it might be someplace else once or twice but for the most part every year they've made it a point to come out here i've always missed it uh been working um i was traveling or i was locked up and so i haven't been here man i don't know it's been a long time uh, 15 years 20 years. I can't even remember the last time I was here with my family. So, needless to say, that this time has been massively enjoyable for me. It's been very refreshing. It's been good for my soul. It's been a great time just to be able to be with them and, and create these memories. Seeing my nieces uh, in this environment has been awesome. And I've loved it. But there is something that I was noticing, and it took a it, we've been here for four days it's taken me a while to actually kind of put my finger on what it was that was making me feel unsettled it actually kind of hit me right around the time when we went out to dinner for our final night you know we go out to dinner and have a meal and everything like that together so every single time that we were here everything was great it was awesome but Whenever I got away from my family, whenever I went out to explore South Padre Island, go check something out, go to the pier, check out the fishing that was going on, I was looking at doing that, all that type of stuff. Whenever I got away from my family, I noticed that that the island we are at, this island that's known for life and partying and fun and, and, and just good energy, right? Being by the water, you know, all that type of stuff. If you're on the water and you're on the beach and you're with your family, if you're in that bubble, that cocoon of goodness and intention, everything's right in the world. But the moment you kind of step away from that, you're back into the reality that we are all living in. And it is that something is off. Everything there felt hollow. Every restaurant we were at, even when we were at Daddy's, it felt hollow. As long as you're with your family and focusing in on them and talking with them, then everything seemed right. But the moment you start looking outside of that, everything just felt empty. There was just this massive disconnect. And I started noticing, I was like, you know what? That's how I have felt every single place I've gone. The whole time we were there, we never went to, we never went out. Me and my brother uh, would like to go out and, you know, just hang out and try new places and stuff like that. We never went to one bar grill. We never went to any place with uh um, a view of the water just so where we can hang out and just have some drinks and talk and everything like that we just stayed there at the house that we had now we had a killer location we had a great uh setup so there was reason for that but the desire to get out and explore was just completely just neutralized and killed because it's not the same it's just not and again on the water be a family everything's great get away from that and it's just kind of like uh i didn't want to fish i mean i don't like to do things by myself but typically i would if just the i don't know if the energy is right and all that type of stuff and but it just wasn't it was empty it was hollow and i was like i noticed this when i was in san antonio there's several people that you know we go out to eat because we're used to going out to eat we like to get away and we like to be able to get together But we also do it because we enjoy just the energy and atmosphere of being in a like-minded place with like-minded people. And so now that we don't really have that, there's just this disconnect. And it's got me reflecting on some things that I have experienced during my time because it's calling up some, I would call it unpleasant memories. And it's not physical. It's not like, uh, oh, remember that time I was abused in prison? It's not like that, right? Right. It's more about, I remember what it felt like to be surrounded by people and yet completely disconnected, to be in this place of limbo and where there was just complete uncertainty and tension. And not that there was so much a lack of trust, but it was an atmosphere that was saying, hey, this is not the place to be where you can kind of trust your fellow man or open up or even want to. And so it again, this took me a while to kind of unpack. But as I was recalling those memories and kind of going back through that and then carrying it over to what I'm experiencing right now and seeing, now I'm starting to kind of get a better understanding of where we're at. And so this is one of those interesting things I know I talk about in the intro like that I see things and it's a reflection of stuff that I've seen. I'm like, "Hey, this is weirdly like prison right now what what the heck this is one of those moments that i actually wasn't thinking about it at all and yet maybe it was in my subconscious all the whole time and i'm like this is like prison this is a very weird part of your experience because there's multiple levels to your experience while you're going while you're locked up so i'm going to share some of that with you and then you'll be able to determine if i'm crazy if i'm onto something if it's something you relate with If it makes sense or not, um, whatever. And I'm interested to see what that response would be, and I would love to know. Uh, The second reason for sharing these stories is also because since it seems so familiar to me, and I feel I do have an encouraging word because of what I have kind of gone through and what I I guess I can kind of foresee as an outcome because of some experiences I'm able to relate to this, because a big question that's asked by Hall, by everybody, is being asked, and, and I keep hearing this question, what do you think is going to happen? What happens next? So to get to that answer that I believe is going to be the answer, let's go ahead and dive into that. But before we do that, let's go ahead and do a little lingo with Ringo. Ringo. <music> So, in this segment of Lingo with Ringo, we're going to dive into some s- terminologies that you've heard about. Uh, maybe you've heard about. So, you got jail, you got state jail, you got prison, you got fed time, you got transit unit. What do all these mean? Okay, so simple breakdown jail, pretty much the worst time you can do. Uh, you don't ever see the light of day. You get almost, your visits are super restrictive. There's almost no programs for you. And that's specifically for Texas. Okay. Uh, your family can't mail you anything. Um, so you've just got whatever is available there that the prison book club has to offer. That's what you have to read. Um, the only good thing about state jail is commissary. The commissary is better than our commissary. Things are more expensive, but you got a better, like, free world, quote unquote, selection. And your family can like buy you like quote unquote free world food, which is a nice boom because again, we're going to have to do a thing on the power of food in prison, the real power player. But state uh, jail is by far the worst time you could do. They do that for a reason. If they make your life hard enough, then you're going to at some point want to cave in and not want to drag the whole thing out, even if you're not guilty, but you think, well, it's better to take this three year sentence compared to the 15 years that they're offering me. And you're like, I'm so miserable. I've been stuck in here for a year and a half, two years. You don't have the money to get out and be on bond. So during that whole time, you're you're just a shell of a person. And so you're like, I will finally sign whether I'm guilty or not, just because I don't want to keep fighting it. And I don't want the threat of getting a big, bigger sentence just because I didn't take the plea deal. So there's a strategy behind it. Jail is interesting because you got people that it's like a way station for people that have been sentenced, like I was, and getting ready to go to prison. And then you have people that are in there that are being charged. That doesn't mean they're guilty, but the state is making a case against them. You can bond out of that, or you're just, if you don't get the bond out of it, stay there and you're going to have a miserable time. So that's jail. Most of the things that you think about that happen in prison actually happen in jail. Jail is definitely more. Crazy rock and roll, depressing. It's not good time, not fun time. After that, you're going to be sent to one of two places, one of three places. The first one is state jail. Uh, state jail is for things that I guess happen against the state. There are short termers, I think, max two to three years. Uh, you don't have a chance for parole. Whatever time you're given is all you got to do. So it could be a lot more wild than a state jail because, again, you don't have parole to kind of keep you in check. Then you're going to have prison. Now, before you ever actually get to a real prison, what will happen is you'll end up at a transit unit. A transit unit is where they will house you for two years, up to two years, no more than two years. And during that time, they're doing either a, they're filtering out the short-termers from the long-termers and the guys that are actually going to be doing time. And also, they're going to be doing like classification, evaluation, that type of thing. Then after transit, you'll be sent to one of your units, and that's when you actually start your kind of prison time uh then you have the other one third one it's federal and so federal is like if you cross state lines while taking marijuana or cocaine or meth or whatever or you did something that's a federal crime it will be taken up on a federal level and then you're going to be doing federal time the thing about federal time is it can be way way harder than prison itself it can get crazier way crazier but it could also be a whole lot easier than what you're doing in prison time. It all depends where you're sent and what type of time you're doing. The federal, you're going to have to do 85% of your time before you can even see parole. And regular prison, so in state jail, you're going to have to do 100%. You'll never see parole, but you're only doing two to three years. If you're doing regular prison, you it's like 25 30% non-aggravated time before you get to see parole. And then um, it's 50% if you've done aggravated time. I had done aggravated. That's why I had to do 50%. Federal, you're going to do 85%. You get the, the perks The federal, though, if there are perks, is going to be that. You have way better commissary, way better food options, and you are also going to, compare to prison, and also you're going to have a lot more programs available to you. So that's the difference between those, and now you know. So when I make the reference to transit unit, you're thinking, okay, this is only a two-year housing situation for you they move you on to the real place so that's it now you know your prison dictionary just got that much thicker okay so i told you that i was going to be sharing with you some stories that uh maybe not be the pleasant most pleasant of memories and um why that's kind of reflecting on what i'm seeing today and and uh so let's get into it and let's see if this makes any sense now my first 30 days in and that's typical you're going to do your first 30 days in county right that's jail time so you're going to do your first 30 days in county jail and what you're doing is you're just waiting for a bus they call a bluebird to take you to whatever unit you're going to be at then from there, so my first place that I went to was called uh, Garza West. All right, so they've actually, and Garza West is a transit unit. They've actually got two transit units because it's such like a big way station. Uh, there you got Garza West and you got Garza East. Garza West is usually where a lot of people get filtered in, and then they're gonna get dispersed wherever they're gonna get get sent. Um, You could end up staying there for your two years, but a lot of people are just kind of like moving in and out, moving in and out. So my first, uh, my second 30 days, so 60 days, was at Garza West. Um, And then I got moved again, and I got sent to Garza East, which is just next door. And so when I got sent to Garza East, Garza East houses more people. It's more of a transit unit. And I didn't know if I would be there or not. And from what it sounded like, it sounded like I was gonna have to be there uh so I was just kind of like, "All right, well, I guess this is where I'm doing my two years. It was not it was better than Garza West, Garza West was better than jail, but it was not still not that great and so the reason for that, and let me just go ahead and explain is is each one of those places, specifically the first two, you're talking about. Shells of humanity That's the best way I can describe it Each one's different for their own reason But mainly because there's this Disconnect that's going on Among the inmates right? No one wants to invest too much In the person next to them because you don't know The next day that person may get moved Could be gone, it's very transient Very come and go uh, So you're there You're existing, you're sharing bits of information uh, But there's no real Community that can be formed it's kind of hard to form any type of real community when everybody's just kind of like in limbo right and uh, you're you're in this weird type of isolation it, it was like you're almost like in a fog it was it was very weird not physically guys I'm talking like just you know you can just feel something you can feel heaviness you can feel tension and when things are just in limbo it just feels like you're in a fog You did your best to keep yourself fed, entertained, but there's really not much else you can do. You're just kind of waiting to see how things shake out. When I was at Garza East, it was more so a little bit more of a permanence because that was a possibility. But you're seeing a lot of people getting shipped out all the time from your dorms. So you're just like, they could ship you out. You just don't really know. And so that also kind of kept things in that kind of state of limbo. So let's just say, so then I did a little bit over 30 days there in Garza East. And I'm just telling you that the whole experience, you're just kind of going through it. You're numb, you're you're learning, you're adapting, but it sucks. Time just drags. And so I remember I was sitting down on a bench one day. And I don't know how I got to talking to this guy, this uh, old school black guy. It was something about like... um something about the time i don't know what it i guess i was maybe kind of just like man this is uh it's gonna be kind of rough and he's just like he's like ask ask me how much time you got and i told him you know i got 10 years aggravated and he said oh, okay he goes well he goes you're not really doing time and i was like uh, what do you mean And he goes you're just you're not really doing time you'll know when you start doing time you got 10 year sentence you're gonna have to do half that you're you'll do time and you'll know it when you, he when you starts. So I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, you're not doing time right now, young And You'll know. You'll know when you actually start doing it. And I'm just like, okay, man. <laughs> I, he had been down before. He'd definitely done his time. So I was just kind of like, all right. Basically, what he was trying to tell me in his own way was that it's going to get better. This actually isn't real prison life. This isn't actually anything like that. I didn't know that at the time. He did. So I found out what he was talking about when all of a sudden one day uh, we had just come out of lockdown at Garza East, and I had just gotten loaded up with commissary, because uh, we hadn't been to commissary before the lockdown, and then uh, we went to two and a half weeks of lockdown, and then we have nothing. Literally, not, my, my my box that they, you know, the uh, like a locker they give you under your bed, was full of stale peanut butter jelly sandwiches I had saved, because I got... So sick of eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and um, so I had just gotten loaded, locked up with uh, loaded up with commissary, and then they go Mathis, you're on chain, on chain uh, should be on the lingo ringo, but on chain means you're getting moved. Great, okay, so I loaded up all my stuff. I get to, uh, I have to sell a bunch of stuff, get stamps for what I have, so I I can at least transport my stuff. I head out a five-hour ride or whatever it was to Edinburgh, and I ended up in Lopez. Now, when I got out of that bus, I don't know what it was, and I kind of tried to explain this in the last episode. You just get a feel for a place, right? And the feel that I got there was so much different than the vibe that I got when I was at Garza West, Garza East, and, of course, County. And it was, (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. I just felt instantly more comfortable there. It's kind of like it was like I felt more at peace. Um, So even though I was further away from my family, way further away than I was before, like the other places, I felt way more relaxed. I think part of that reason is that I knew that when I got there, this was for sure where I was going to be doing my next two years or what was left of my two years. So there was that sense of kind of like settling in. You're just kind of like, okay. This is it. The second thing is that coming from San Antonio, being familiar with a Hispanic, Mexican, Latino culture, and then also being half Mexican, I felt way more at ease going south rather than having to go north. So it was it was a combination of those things. And then it was this I guess feeling or understanding that I was actually gonna start being able to develop my own type of routine. When you're in a place of limbo and constant constant change and uncertainty, you don't really get a chance at routine. And so now that I was able to kind of work towards that, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, this feels better. Well, once I actually started, got in my dorm, got in my bunk, all that type of stuff, started meeting a few people, I was I actually started developing kind of like this was my first shot at community. Most of that community happened with uh, guys that I worked with, but... It wasn't just the guys that I was working with because I I got a job, really, really good job at the maintenance department as a clerk. And I'll have to get into that one day why that's a benefit. But it was also the guys that I had as my bunk mates were all, they were all solo. They were all Solanos. So none of them them were a part of anything. So they weren't getting caught up in stuff. And they're all really just cool dudes. And it was just like, so in the dorm, you've got your bunks all around the wall and um you got these dividers that are between um each section of bunks so you got uh two bunks right that are facing each other and then you got these dividers so each one has its own like little section so those four beds that are facing each other you kind of become your kind of own area and that can be either good or that can be bad just all how it kind of shakes out and so the group that i was with were really cool dudes uh, and then there was this old home kid that uh, he was really, you know, really just really kind of jovial and all that type of stuff. So I always enjoyed kind of talking to him. And I thought that the Dallas Cowboys were going to have a great draft because they got Maurice Clayborn, And, well, that just didn't work out very well. But at the time, I was excited. So I started developing my own kind of sense of community and all that type of stuff. So I'm kind of getting into the into the routine and the feel of everything. And I'm starting to notice what a big difference it was between the time that I was doing at West and, and East to how I was doing time right now. And I was just I understood what that old school meant. It was just kind of like saying before you were just existing and now you actually are have a chance of actually living. And it's interesting the difference between existing and living. I don't know how you would quantify it or how you would qualify it, but for me, a lot of that came when I was actually able to start engaging the people around me and develop, I guess, a sense of community to where I didn't feel so alone and isolated and cut off from everybody else. Like I did, even though I was with people, it wasn't anybody you could really kind of invest with. And so, and yes, I was able to could develop a routine and all that type of stuff. But mainly was the fact that I was actually able to, that was my like first way of being able to touch base back with being a human because before you were made to feel less than a human through the whole process when i got to the faith-based dorm that hyper accelerated and i was just uh i was just kind of like like say oh my god this is doing time this is and doing time in a good way this is it was just a whole lot better and then when i became a trustee it was different but it was also a lot better a lot more perks a lot more liberties and all that type of stuff and so remembering all of that and just going through that process remembering what those feelings and those memories are like and then being here in south padre and being like this feels so similar and then realizing it's because where we're at right now in our situation as a society as a global world um is we're in a place of limbo. We're in a place of disconnect. We don't know what's going to come. There's a lot of uncertainty. And because of the restrictions that are having to go on because of COVID and whether they're legit or not, that's not what we're here to discuss. We're talking just about the fact that because these things are going on right now, this it's created a fear of interaction and an uncertainty. You see it when people meet with you. They're like, "Is there this initial, like, I want to shake your hand you almost want to just reach out and give someone a hug that you know and then you're like wait wait I don't know if that's I don't know if I'm supposed to do that anymore I don't know what I am it's just awkward right you feel like you're Steve Carell at the office and the other person's Dwight and you're like uh 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 I don't know what to it's awkward and so because there's this sense of weirdness and awkwardness and this disconnect in this limbo what I've noticed is that it's created a it's created a few very interesting things. It actually brings to mind a study that I remember reading about. I read this sometime I don't know, like it was like two thousand six or two thousand seven, and it was, uh, and I forget why I read it, but it was by a psychologist, and he was doing a study into this this part of our existence as a human race that we were entering into, that was absolutely brand new at that time. And he was actually talking about sometime in the 90s to the present time at that time that we had moved from a place where we needed humans to survive. We needed community. We needed uh, to group together for safety and security, and that's how the human race survived and uh, prospered. Then he was just noticing, he's like, but now, he's like, now you can get a sense of community without ever having any type of human interaction. You can get the benefits of what people used to get the benefits of being a bonded community together, protection, food, clothing, jobs, all that type of stuff, you can have that now with having almost zero interaction. And that was like back in 2006, 2008, whenever I read that. Imagine how much more that has accelerated now and to where you've, the the idea of community had really just kind of morphed into this weird type of thing. And so, and I'm talking about, you know, again, pre-COVID, so what we were seeing was that for the first time, the human race was entering into a place where it had this new, completely new, different type of identity, and he was hypothesizing what the results were going to be for moving into this direction where we didn't actually need each other to survive. We had created a system that as long as you operated within the system, you could survive. Well... That system kind of still exists, but it's also kind of crumbled. Now, for some reason, that study has stayed with me all these years, and it was just just kind of called to light or or came to memory as I was just kind of going through this. So the first thing it made me think about was the difference between voluntary isolation and involuntary isolation. Massive difference. In the first one, you feel like you're in control. but because you are in control, you're choosing to be alone. But when someone forces you into an isolated place, it changes everything. Now, as a former inmate, I can tell you exactly what that looks like and feels like. Now, I never went into solitary confinement or was I put in, quote unquote, the hole, as they like to call it. But I was forced into isolation a few times. Sometimes it was psychologically like what I experienced in jail and some of the transit units I was started out at. But also it was like when I was being transported, I was sent to a place called Darrington. Uh, Darrington is called Chocolate City. Now, understand, guys, don't be offended because jail is anti-PC culture. So they're not going to do things and say things that are like, quote-unquote, PC-sensitive. But the reason it was called Chocolate City was because it was actually run specifically by Africans, predominantly Africans. Texas was trying to fill up, and uh, they were really lacking people that would take up positions as guards and stuff like that. So I think they did it, from what I heard, some recruiting in Africa, that African countries where they could get visas and stuff like that for them to come work here. And so it was actually run by a bunch of Africans. Uh, Actually, quite a few of the units are. So that's why it's called Chocolate City. Not because they make the best chocolate in the world, which is, of course, what I know you guys first thought of when I said that. So anyway, but when you're at Darrington... Darrington is when you picture Alcatraz, when you picture those dark, dank units in, in like New York and stuff like that, the, the kind of place where you're like, hey, that's where Sylvester Stallone was in prison. Those types of things. That's what Darrington is. It's old, it's an old unit. I mean, when you walk in, it's, it's dirty, it's filthy, there's rats, there's just trash everywhere. So you're you're just like, God, man, but it, it's just the feeling that you're getting while you're there, and it's the smell. When you're there, it's almost like the the blood and the piss and the vomit and the sadness and just the hopelessness of human existence had seeped into the pores of the actual unit itself. It was heavy. It was dark. And so... Sometimes when you're getting moved from place to place, they need a place to kind of temporarily house you uh, while they're getting you from place to place. So Darrington was one of those layover spots. So they take you in there and they put you into your own cell. Sometimes you have a celly. Sometimes you don't. Every time I was there, I never had a celly. But when they close those doors, the only thing that you see is just facing out is a blank wall. Now, you don't know anybody that you're really getting transported with. So you're not like really chopping it up with anybody You're not trying to talk to the other person that's in the cell next to you, even though you can't see them, you're not doing that. But the thing about while you're there is you feel like this is what isolation, this is what the hole feels like. Now, the hole's worse because you don't have an actual open cell. Usually it's actually a door that's closed with a small little window um, for them to view into you, not you to view out to them. It's just a horrible place to be. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And I just remember, there was one time I got stuck there in Darrington. There was a flu. Somehow I got caught up in it. They weren't moving people. And it was three days. And it was three of the longest days of my life because I was like, how long am I going to get stuck here? And man, it just, I had a book with me. There's only so much of a book you can read. I had my Bible with me. There's honestly, there's only so much of the Bible you can read. And then you're just sitting there and you're just kind of like, I spend a lot of time praying, meditating, just purely to keep my sanity in those types of places. Forced isolation sucks. Now, I'm not like Ellen, and I'm not going to say what we're going through is like you being in isolation or the hole. That is a total disservice to people that have ever done that type of time. But the difference in psychology of of how it affects you when you're forced into isolation Compared to when you voluntarily choose isolation is massively different. I have some friends that are I'm extroverted, right? I love being around people. I don't even have to talk to them, but I I do like to engage other people. I have friends that are um, introverted, but we like to frequent the same places. so even though they're introverted, they still want to get out and be a part of what's going on in society. go to the coffee shops, do work. They have no problem being by themselves, but they like being among the ambiance and the comfort and the energy of other people, right? And so just because you like to be alone doesn't mean that you want to be forced to be—that you're not allowed to interact with human beings. And that's kind of where we're at, and it's created this kind of sense of disconnect. Also, we don't know where it's going. We don't know when a vaccine is going to happen. Probably one of the worst things that happened to us psychologically was— Letting us out of the lockdown, reducing this the the restrictions, and then saying, oh, no, we made a mistake. We're going to have to put them right back on you. I can only imagine as a business owner how suffocating and restricting that, that is, uh, much less the individual. So all that being said, what I've seen it do is because we've been forced to say, hey, you can't socialize. You need to distance yourself. You need to do all that. What's happened is it's almost like an archaic shift compared to what that study was seeing where people were moving away from other people and socializing. It's forced people to actually go back and uh, dive further into their families and uh, dive further into the... And it's we've gone kind of tribal, actually. So the way kind of tribal works is that you start with the people that you know and trust the most, which is always going to start with your family unit. Now not everybody gets the benefit of a family unit they can rely on but if it's there you want to go ahead and start there that's what you know that's who you trust that's who you have the deepest and and best memories with probably Um, and then from there you're going to move to the next place of comfort which is your closest family and friends and then from there you're going to move on to people you're familiar with and last it would just be random strangers But the whole thing is that you start with going back to the family unit and then you start building out from there and rebuilding your base. The funny thing about COVID is just because you are a family member and so we share the same blood and all this type of stuff doesn't make you immune to COVID, right? And yet we are willing to take that risk of being with other people Specifically, being with family and being with close friends because we need it. That's part of who we are as human beings. We're not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be cut off. We can deal with it for a time, but this is not who we are. This is not how we exist. Now, the state government is doing what they think they need to do to protect us, right? Right or wrong, that's what they're doing. They're doing it because the the government is operating by a sense of black and white generalities. If we do this and this and this, it'll protect people and isolate and da-da-da-da. But what they're not taking into account, and they cannot take into account because they're not able to comprehend this, is they're not able to comprehend what makes us human, the human spirit. And so for them, it's like, oh yeah, if we just stay isolated and we just stay this and that... Then everything will be fine. And if they could keep it that way, they would, but they know that that's not how businesses and economy work. So at some point, they gotta figure out a way to let us get back to being who we are and interacting. But the reason that they're not able to take that into account right now is they just don't think in that context. I saw that in prison. They are they'll like offer, like, okay, we'll offer these kind of generic classes about how to process things better. And how to deal with your anger. It doesn't have any soul. It doesn't have any life. So it's not something that people like can actually connect with. You've got to like squeeze it so tight. To draw out something good out of it. And you've got to grind. To get something good out of it. But it's not because it's actually there. It's You've just got to fight for it. And so. We're just in this weird state. And it's never more apparent. Than when you go to a place like. South Padre Island, and you step out of that bubble of comfort that you have, which is what I had with my family and being on the beach, and you get out and you're like, oh my God, this place is dead. It's lifeless. And I've never seen it like this. I, In my family, who go there every year, they've never seen it like that. And so it's just really, really kind of telling. This is who we are. This is who God made us. This is how we naturally interact. We've done this for all of our lives as a as a human race, back to the Neolithic times, the biblical times, whatever you want to call it, we've used community to survive off of. And it's not just because one person can do this and one person can do that. There's a energy that we feed off of. I don't have to know the people that I'm hanging out with down when I'm at the Pearl, but the fact that I'm able to just be in that environment where other people are able to relax, lounge around laugh and enjoy themselves and relax i feed off that i'm feeding off that energy friends of mine who are uh um, what do you call it uh introverted they're doing the exact same thing right but it almost i've noticed this whenever i go down there by myself i'm like maybe there's one other person that there, that's there by themselves but almost every single person there is with their is there with other people you just want to be around other people. You, whenever I go there, I invite other people. Um, whenever I go to the Greenway, it's the same thing. It's just like I want to be out in nature. I want to get in. I want to breathe. One of the first things we did when we were off lockdown, one, the most un, the person that wants to be inside all the time and be in AC and, and everything like that, every single person, even that person, wants to just get outside, breathe fresh air, walk around, stretch their legs, And just be out in nature. Be out in the open. And then the other thing that happens is as soon as the lockdown's over is people get on the unit from all these different places will come up and they will start talking. And they'll start sharing information. And they'll just start catching up. And nobody's telling them to do this. No one's forcing them to do this. It just happens organically. And that's what I'm seeing here is it's just something that happens organically. So Here's We need to wrap this up. I'm letting this go way too long. Why is this weighing on me? And what does this have to do specifically? Like, why even bring it up? Well, first off, because it's interesting. And I was sitting there going, huh, how like prison this really all is. This is kind of crazy. What I want to do is I want to encourage anybody out there that is also kind of saying, yeah, I feel that same type of disconnect. I feel like something's off. Something's missing. And I'm concerned because I don't see an end in sight. I don't see how the madness is going to stop, how we're going to get back to normal, if normal is even a possibility. It could be bothering. It could be depressing. That limbo and that uncertainty, I know what that's like. So um, I've also seen it where it can lead to anger and angst and hostility, which is kind of what we're seeing going on in the world around us. So here's my bit of encouragement, if I could offer anything, and really, I guess I'm going to offer you two things. In short, this isn't doing time. What you're experiencing right now is not so much living, and I'm not saying not everybody's having the same experience, I'm just saying that as a society, we are not living right now. We're existing. We're going day to day, just trying to exist and get through 2020. I don't know why it's just 2020, but it seems like in 2021, there's a change, a chance for things to breathe. And maybe it's the new presidency. Maybe it's the possibility of a vaccine, which seems very unlikely, but, and, and a vaccine isn't you know the solution. But for a lot of people, 2021 feels like the chance where we're hoping things can start moving back to, towards being normal. Get some distance between us and this crazy, crazy year that we've been through. But the whole thing is that we're just surviving right now. We're existing as a society. We're in limbo. We don't know what's coming. And so it feels off. It feels disconnected because it is. But here's my encouragement. From what I saw is that one way or the other, eventually we will find a way to get back to being who we are as human beings. I can't say how that exactly that's gonna play out I can't say if the government's even going to be on board with that and go along with that. I just have seen it that one way or the other, uh, we were watching Jurassic Park the other day and, uh, what was it a uh, Jeff Goldblum was sitting there and he goes, one way or the other nature finds a way to survive. It just, it finds a way to, to do its thing. And I was kind of like, well, humans are the same way. Humans are going to find a way to be who they really are meant to be. And we're not meant to be cut off. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be living in constant fear. All those, um, you know, uh, end of the world type of movies you see, where they the lone person is just moving through the world and existing by themselves. It's it may be a like kind of like a romantic dark idea, but it's not reality, because that's not how the human race exists. And in fact, even in those novels, every single one of those is about somebody. That's trying to get from isolation to a place of community. Because community is a place of safety and refuge. But there's healthy community there's unhealthy community. And we'll that get into that later. My encouragement is that I'm hoping that you will not lose hope. And as a believer, I really latch into this. And I hope that other people out there that are believers in God. More specifically, Jesus Christ we'll also see this the end hasn't come there eventually we believe that ultimately everything's going to have to go through a purging and a cleansing because uh, the sickness isn't just going to stop on its own and so there will be a time when there will come to an end some pef- people feel like that end is now well it's not now because we're still here we're still living we're still breathing God still sees hope and potential here. I still see hope and potential here. If I can tell you this, after seeing what I've seen, humanity in its worst possible light, in the worst possible of conditions, and still come out extracting the fact that I didn't come out racist, I didn't come out hating humanity, I didn't come out hating the government. If anything, it actually balanced me out Because I was sitting there and I was like, there's still beauty here. I may not understand everything. I may not understand the people I was locked up with. But if I took the time to listen to their stories, I started hearing the humanity in it. Um, I may never even like the person, but I understood where there was still value in that person. Because I would take the time to listen and and all that type of stuff. I'm just saying that eventually there is hope. We're going to get back to a place where we will be able to be who we are meant to be. And we're going to be able to interact with each other the way we're meant to interact. And if we don't and the end comes, then, well, there's benefits to that as well. But all that said, I encourage you to just understand that. Don't have too much expectations for this year. Consider it a wash. Just do what you got to do. Let it go. Use this as a time to grow, benefit, benefit even though those first 90 days were terrible i still used it as a time to educate myself into a system that i had no understanding of and during that time just by being isolated and by being alone i learned to be self-sufficient during that time and adjust and adapt and stand on my own even though it was there was a you know a lot of things that were kind of moving and shaking and a lot of craziness going on i still learned how to to do that in that time We can all do something good with this time, but we have to have the right mindset going into it and not having too many expectations for 2020 will definitely help. And instead of expecting things to go back to normal like that instantly, let's just go ahead and say it's going to be a progressive move in that direction. And things are never going to be as they were before. Okay, No matter how well I did my time, I could never go back to what it was like before I did my time. Now, I believe I came out a better person, but prison left its scars on me. And I'll have to I'll share some of that later on in some of the episodes. It I didn't come out unscathed. I've needed years to kind of work through some stuff that it's kind of messed me up and how I socialize and how I think and all that type of stuff. But overall, the experience was good. The experience was positive. And so even something like this, we can extract something good from it if we're willing to do that. And the very last thing I'm going to do, and then I'm going to close with this, because this, again, has ran way longer than I ever expected it to. And if you're still listening, kudos to you. The very last thing is that I know the media is bombarding us with the fact that humanity is just completely shot. That every other person you're going to meet is evil, and every other person is doing something truly evil and truly bad. It depends what part of the news cycle you're listening to where you can even believe that every white woman is a Karen, every white guy is a Kevin, or you could believe that every black guy is a looter and a thug and a uh, a victim-minded person, or every Trump supporter is a racist. And you could believe this stuff if you let the media control the narrative and control your mindset. But I just want you to think about this. When is the last time you actually met somebody that was truly evil? And when's the last time that you've had an experience with somebody where you like, man, that was a bad person. That was a bad experience. If you were like me, during this whole COVID time, I haven't come across one single person. And I have not had one single moment where, and I have been out there and I've been talking to people and I've been doing this and doing that. I have not been just stuck in my room and not doing nothing. I've not one time had a come across somebody. I'm like, that person was evil. Or I have not one time had an experience where I was like, that was an evil thing that I just went through and and dealt with. Or I haven't even come across anybody that was like, man, that was a bad person. That was a bad dude with bad intentions. But if I look at my media cycle that's coming to me through Apple News, which probably coming to me because I'm clicking on it, it's... This is happening all the time, all over the world, and da 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 da, because you're just getting bombarded with it, and you start having this idea that this paranoia, everybody is bad. But even if you have had a bad experience with someone, right? All I want you to do is compare it percentage-wise to the number of good experiences you've had with people that are kind, that are calm, that are just wanting to get from point A to point B. People are still holding the doors open. Of course, it's Texas. People are still being courteous. I'm just not seeing what the news is trying to put out, what the media is trying to put out, that this world is horrible, that everybody's evil, and that da-da-da-da-da. i am not going to let a few bad experiences taint my view of humanity. I really think that's how racism really kicks in. I saw that in some of my Bible studies Or some of the guys or yeah i mean mainly my bible studies because this is the most intimate conversation i had where some of the guys would come in and just be like man that those black guys man they're all bad they're all bad and i'd just be like huh okay and i you know kind of pretend to be empathetic to them when they would come like that and i'd be i'd be like oh yeah yeah well um what about charles you play with chess with charles oh yeah charles good guy Hey, what about uh, Tyrone? Didn't Tyrone help you out with uh, work when nobody else would? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you share notes with that person? Isn't that person dead? And I would list out several people that they interact with that are still valid in their eyes. And I knew that because I knew them. And then I would be like, every single person I just mentioned to you is black. So are you saying that every single black person is this way? And they were like... Well, no, man, they are exceptions to the rule. I was like, I just listed several exceptions to the rule, bro. Listen, if you're going to let a few bad experiences completely taint how you view an entire group and an entire people, how you view the human race or a race of people based on a few bad experiences, that says more about you than it does about the experiences you're having. Now, is it valid? Are there real bad situations out there. Was my friend legit in his complaints about some of the things he was bringing up? Yes, he was. But what I learned was that, and I don't know how I got to this topic, what I learned is that I, because God has forgiven me and because my family has forgiven me and because friends that should have cut me off have forgiven me and let me back in their life, I need to remember to treat everybody on a case-by-case basis. It's just massively important to keep my sanity, to keep my hope, to not just get every person that's a liberal, every person that's a Democrat, as a raging lunatic, and every conservative person is a racist and a bigot and only wants the rich to survive. I'm telling you guys, it's not healthy, and if you're a believer, God has nothing to do with that thinking right there. If he has nothing to do with that thinking, then you got to wonder where is that thinking coming from, because I only got one idea. So... Let's not get caught up into all the negative and all the hoopla and all that type of stuff. Let's not lose hope. Let's not expect too much out of 2020. And let's know that eventually we as humans are going to get back to doing human things. There's still hope out there. There's still possibility. It's all based on perspective. It's all based on what you choose. I choose hope. That's pretty much it, guys. Thank you for sticking around and for listening to this extra long podcast and i hope that i have not lost too many listeners with it so love to hear your thoughts and ideas about this and any personal experiences you have feel free to share them and uh, we'll close with that appreciate you guys peace Thank you guys so much for joining me for this podcast on whatever platform you're choosing. You can find the Prison City Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher now, as well as the Red Circle Podcast. If you want to throw your support for the show, the three best ways are to subscribe, leave a review, especially if it's five star, and to share with anyone you think would be interested. Those three things will help me build some organic traction, which is really the best kind. Any comments or tips that you have for me, feel free to share them via the email or the Facebook link that I will be leaving in the description. For all of your support and listening to this show, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I look forward to the next one. Please remember, stay sane, be positive. Peace.